Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go AU Fur, and welcome to Season 2 of the pod. Um, with me to kick off the uh, the second year of doing this is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. I swear I'm here on my own reconnaissance and I'm not being forced to do this. No one believes you. Blake? Hey, it's good to be back. Season 2 going to be way better than Season 1. And U Street. Hey, y'all. Um, so I'd personally like to thank Coach Fleck and the Gopher football team for giving us the best kind of content for a podcast, which is starting quarterback content. Um, we didn't have to work too hard to come up with our first topic for today, and that's always appreciated. So tip of the cap to you, Coach Fleck. Um, very much appreciated. Zach Anixted, the Zach Anixted era is here. Um, I'm just going to kick it straight to you, Blake. Kind of, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? Since you were the one who was kind enough to, to write the post today. Well, right off the bat, I mean, the competition after um, Vermont as the Juco quarterback transferred this spring, it, it came down to a redshirt freshman, Tanner Morgan, and a true freshman, quote-unquote, walk-on um, in Zach Yannick said. So right away, you got to temper expectations a little bit because neither one's thrown a collegiate pass. And, I mean, this is a Big Ten team. Uh, it's So expectations naturally going to be a little bit low, but um, – um, there's reason to be optimistic. I mean, it's the preseason. This is when cautious optimism thrives. Um, he obviously, this is a kid that's been doubted since the beginning. He, you know, transferred from I think Mankato to IMG Academy of Florida, where he, where he backed up what is now a, Rutger, a freshman quarterback at Rutgers. He eventually took over as starting quarterback midseason last year. You know, came here in the spring, was third on the depth chart, passed Vermont as he transfers, comes in the fall. Everyone, myself included, assumes Morgan's going to be the starter and. Lo and behold, he's starter today. So um, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, the headline uh, everywhere is going to be true freshman walk-on, but he's not a walk-on in the traditional sense um, since he had you know Power 5 scholarship offers and turned down those offers for the opportunity to come here and agreed to um, walk-on for a year he, uh, with the intention that he'll probably get a scholarship um, next fall, I would assume. But uh He's definitely a kid. He's, he's you know he's good. He's a fighter. He's got a great work ethic. He came in here wanting to take the the quarterback role, and not be handed it. So um, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens. You know, I don't expect him to um, light it up necessarily this season, but uh, there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, Chris, how are you feeling about it? I mean, the setup is there for the best story ever. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm really anticipating that kind of a miracle storyline to happen. I'm not entirely right sure how Airbud Three exists off the new Zach Anikstead signing, but I'm excited to hear your explanation. You and your Airbud, man. <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, Zach Anikstead, his the spelling of his name is going to throw me off all year long, and I apologize to anyone who reads. I am going to spell his name with an H. His first name is going to have an H. It's going to have an H all season long, and you can all mock me mercilessly because I don't know. I can't do it with a K. It just never pops into my head to do Zach with a K, and I have no idea why. Um, no, I mean, look, I, I think at the end of the day, this team, honestly, is not going to be that much better or worse, likely, with either of these quarterbacks at the helm. At least not to start. And I certainly don't look at the season any different, regardless of which guy's playing. Um, I'm not even sure I'd feel that much different about it if Vic had hung around and had had won himself the starting job because 
there was there's limitations on paper with all of these guys. Um, you know, Vic, had he stayed, was the YOLO quarterback who could run the ball but was a eh, so-so passer. Basically, everything we ever saw from any quarterback under Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays. Um, on paper, Morgan and Anikstead are better passers, but they're both extremely inexperienced. And they're not five-star guys. That's not to say that they're bad. I have no way of knowing how great they are yet. We only have practice, you know, reports on them. But they're obviously not, you know, guys who are going to Ohio State. So if you're starting a guy with no experience who's coming in as a a lower to mid-three star, you know, that's going to temper your expectations. So for me, how I feel about the season is we had an experience at quarterback regardless, and now we just know which inexperienced quarterback we're playing. And, hey, with luck, maybe he sets up a storyline that will turn into a better movie than Air Bud 3. Um, Andy, I guess, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I think it'll be just uh, something to watch will be everybody's reaction to it. I mean, there, there's the, the hardcore of us who realize exactly like you were explaining the situation. You know, he's a walk-on, but he's not really a walk-on. He, he basically did a favor to the program by walking on. He will be given a scholarship by January. But, and, and, and again, in the long run, this doesn't really matter, but watching the, the national reactions, or not even the natural reactions, but some Minnesota fans' reactions going, what, we're starting a walk-on freshman, what, what's going on? And, and the, the panic in there, and they're just, they, you know, some people just don't understand the situation, and some people just refuse to understand the situation. Um, I did see one tweet, it was confirmed, somebody did the research, that Anikstad, when he starts a week from Thursday night, will be only the second ever walk-on freshman to start an FBS game, their first collegiate game. The other being, of course, Baker Mayfield. So, um, you know, you'll have people that are irrationally going to compare him to Baker Mayfield, and then you'll have the people that are still panicking, especially if he goes out that first or second drive and throws an interception. You know, watch watch Twitter explode with, oh, God, here we go again, and things like that. So, But as, as Chris said, you know, we would have had inexperience either way between Anikstad or, or Morgan, whichever one would have started. So um, PJ has made his decision, and I think, you know, we'll all hope that at, uh, Zach shows, um, you know, the, the surprising skill that he has. You know, what he did from starting as a sophomore down at Mankato East to transferring to IMG and beating out, uh, you know, the number 15-ranked quarterback in the country to, to steal the job away from him. So hopefully... He puts his uh, his good talents to use, but I think fans are definitely going to have to get used to it. And, it. and it's been stressed by anybody who knows anything. He is a true freshman, so he is going to make mistakes. You're going to have to take the good with the bad and, uh, you know, roll with the punches, and hopefully there's more good than there's more bad. Quick poll for you all. Do you feel a little bad for the guy? Because, I mean, let's be honest. He's in a position where rationality not being our fan base is strong suit uh, at times, um, he's kind of in a position to have some rough social media and rough expectations placed on him because if he fails, people are going to automatically assume he sucks because they don't want to get past the idea of him as a walk-on. And, you know, if he succeeds, he's going to have to be really consistently successful. Otherwise, he's still going to have to deal with the there we go again. So do you feel bad for the kid, excited for the kid? I mean, I'm obviously excited for him, but there's a part of me that just kind of feels bad that Things worked out where, you know, the last staff didn't leave any guys who could become a quarterback and and Fleck hadn't worked things out um, with, with what was left. 
and now we're left with he, he's got a chance to start instead of redshirting. I do not feel bad for Zach Ennickstad for being the starting quarterback of the University of Minnesota. <laughs> well, when you say it like that. I don't feel particularly bad for any aspect of what he's going to face media attention wise if you decide to play power five football we unfortunately live in a world in which people think it's a great idea to you know, scream at 18 year olds and say all sorts of terrible things about them <laughs> given you know that that's the world that exists and you sign up for it if you're zach annexed you signed up because you wanted the starting job if I feel bad for anyone in some sense, I suppose I feel bad for Tanner Morgan, but I also don't tremendously feel bad for Tanner Morgan because Tanner Morgan lost an open quarterback competition to a uh, soon-to-be scholarship quarterback. Yeah, that's... Okay, that's the rational take. Well, let's let's uh, go with Street's rational take. Um, I guess... A good transition would be to, you know, so we, we know who our quarterback's going to be, at least for a majority of the snaps, um, and who will start the game against New Mexico State. Um, I guess looking at the offense, what do you guys think strengths and weaknesses are? I think that's an easier question to answer now that we know who the quarterback's going to be. Um, and I'll start you off uh, with you, with you, Street. This is honestly a very good question to ask what the strength of this offense is going to be. The only confirmed strengths of the offense are Tyler Johnson will be good and Rodney Smith will be good. Everything else is not necessarily a weakness per se, but it's an open question. However, if I were to pick a strength and weakness, and perhaps as a preview of next week's content, the wide receivers are going to make a tremendous leap forward. Compared to last year, Tyler Johnson and what I believe were several garbage cans flipped over. (laughs) The offensive line is an obvious weakness. It's young, it's inexperienced, it's coming off an offseason where for the first time it actually had depth. If that line gels and is cohesive, then Zach Anikstad will have a much easier time at quarterback. This is the other reason, incidentally, why I think having either of the two quarterbacks is sort of a wash. Quarterbacks, at the college level especially, are made to look awfully impressive by the pieces around them. And while it's certainly the case that a quarterback can lose you a game, what up Mitch Leidner's 9 billion interceptions against Wisconsin, rarely does a quarterback win a game by themselves unless we're playing in a weird triple option you always hold the ball zach anikstad has to pass to somebody rashad bateman looks fantastic incidentally went to several open practices the just sheer talent level he has there is a just a base difference in how he does everything even early on when he was super raw you could tell it was very obvious that number 13 was good at wide receiver. Seth Green appears to have taken tremendous strides forward. That may say bad things about our defense. I'm not sure. I'll let someone else cover that. But I think as long as the wide receivers get better, Zach Anikstead will have a much better season than Demry Croft or Connor Rota had, in part because he'll have at least somebody to get open. Am I, uh, am I too pessimistic there, Andy? No, I think you're. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident in our in our receiving core. I mean, it's all going to come down to health. You know, we we thought we felt pretty good uh, about it. You know, better than we had last season, and then you had 
Chris Ottman Bell and, and Demetrius Douglas both go down within the first two weeks, and all of a sudden it was Tyler Johnson and overturned trash cans, like you said. So um, I think with those two healthy, um, if, if Green can really give you something, which it looks like he might be able to, um, you know, Bateman, like you said, all indications, he's he's raw, but his talent is through the roof. Um, we've got people who are going to be able to catch the ball, but you're right, the biggest thing is going to be the offensive line. Um, you know, we, we added depth, we added Daniel Flele and, and Curtis Dunlap, and, and they're right now slotted into the, uh, into the backup swing tackle and swing guard spots. I think in a absolute perfect world, P.J. Fleck would love to redshirt them, or at least keep them into that four-game redshirt window. Um, but with one injury or one ineffective game from some of the starters, that may not happen. He, they may have to play more than four games this year. Um, you know, the Gophers will bring back basically their starting offensive line from last year, plus, a, you know, a couple more members for depth. Um, but, you know, you're really looking at 2019-2020 when you're really going to see this offensive line excel. Um, so, Anikstad and... and, and the Gophers' uh, pass protection may have some some rough times. Um, you know, I think the running back we all know Rodney Smith is is a gamer. He's going to do everything he can. I think hopefully they're looking at involving him a little bit more out of the backfield in the pass game this year, which could also give another little uh, wrinkle into uh, Kucharaka's play calling and things like that. And it'll be interesting to see who finally does win this number two running back slot. Um, from all indications, it's still sort of a three-way open competition between Ibrahim, uh, Bryce Williams, and Nolan Edmonds. Um, but, you know, don't think it won't be a, a, a really nice surprise if, you know, you find somebody you can work into that second slot and all of a sudden those last four games, even if you're doing, you know, decently well, if you can pull Shannon Brooks off the bench for four games, that would be huge. But we'll just have to see what happens. Um, you know, Blake, do you have any comments on what you think the offense is going to do um you know i i I think i'm actually more bullish on the offensive line than the two of you just because as you mentioned most of the returning offensive line from last season uh is back you know jared weiler deno green um connor olson sam schluter with um, i think blaze andres is the only new starter this year but um i think if they can stay healthy as mentioned i think at least three of the second string are, tr- are either redshirt or true freshmen, so there's yeah the depth is not there. Um, but I think I you know we lost Ed Warner as offensive line coach last year. He went to Michigan this year, but I think Brian Kellyan is as good or just as capable of developing good offensive line based on what we saw um, what he did at Western Michigan. So I feel like if if they're good, that give that takes some of the pressure off of the quarterback because obviously he's got some good protection. The running game will naturally um, do well from that. But yeah, I think. It's going to come down to can the playmakers of wide receiver make plays and can you know Zach Anikstad make good decisions at quarterback, not get rattled, um, which obviously remains to be seen because we haven't seen him take a snap yet. So um, there's just a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty, and well, we don't have to wait long to find out. So kind of jumping back to the something that uh, Street said about Seth Green, I, I from what I've watched in the limited amount of like practice video that hits the internet, um, it kind of I had the same question you did, Alex, that uh, is it our defense and not being great? And so an inexperienced guy working that tight end wide receiver hybrid is looking better than he really is. Or the thing that came to my mind is he's just a huge athletic dude. And so he's going to create really big mismatches. Do you think from what you saw in practice that 
I mean, that's probably his greatest strength is that he's athletic enough to make plays and his size gives him the ability to, to exploit mismatches if they're there. Well, I am not an elite football mind. P.J. Fleck, however, is when it comes to wide receivers, and he seems positively giddy about Seth Green, especially at his early level. Matt Simon is also a phenomenal wide receivers coach. Objectively, there's no one else on the roster who has the set of tools that Seth Green has. No one's as big. No one for their size is as fast. His ability to catch, especially contested catches, is hugely impressive and was something I was decidedly not expecting when he made the move. He appears to have taken the role of kind of joker hybrid tight end wide receiver very well in a very short period of time. It's perhaps understandable why Oregon wanted him at the position. So while I am in some sense skeptical about the defense, because I think it's sort of fair to be skeptical about the secondary, Seth Green could be awfully good. And the thing is, if Seth Green is in fact awfully good in a hurry, all of a sudden that wide receiver core looks pretty nice. There's a lot of talent there. A lot of it's young, so it's only going to develop and get better. And if you can realistically have someone like a Seth Green who can create an obvious mismatch against a linebacker and therefore either force uh, to put on additional defensive backs or go nickel a lot more often, that should open up the running game too because it's much easier to block a safety than it is to block a linebacker. All right, so clearly you've alluded to the fact that you've got uh, some hesitant feelings towards the defense. We're going to come back to that, but I want Andy... Maybe Andy will be a little more optimistic. Andy, what are what do you think some of the strengths of the defense are going to be this year? Well, I think the obvious strength of the defense is the linebacker core. Um, you know, between Thomas Barber, Kamal Martin, Blake Cashman, and then whatever linebacker defensive end hybrid Carter Coughlin's going to play for you. I mean, that that's a no-brainer that arguably the Gophers have their best linebacking core they've had in, in several years um, and should be a you know probably a top three or four unit in the Big Ten. Um, the big thing is going to be how much are they going to be able to play. I think our defensive line has definitely improved from a year ago, but there's still some question marks. Um, so they're going to have to make some plays to to set up the linebackers to make some plays. Otherwise, you know, the reason why you're going to recognize the linebackers' names are because they're going to be making tackles five six yards downfield all the time. Um, you know, I think there's some depth question marks still at the D-line. I think there's some definitely depth question marks in the secondary. Um, you know, we saw how fast our secondary play dropped immediately after we lost Antoine Winfield Jr. last year. And uh, if you look at the safety position especially, you've got Winfield and you've got uh, Jacob Huff. And then after that, it goes down to a, a Calvin Swenson or... You know, you're looking at Benny Sapp, another true freshman playing playing safety. So um, there's definitely still some question marks on this defense, but there are definitely going to be some some highlight plays made by uh, several players. So you know, optimistically, hopefully it'll be a bit better than last year. But I think you're still going to get in some shootout games where the offense is going to have to do some things for you. Um, Street, what do you think? Well, I would note that you missed Blake's favorite player, our walk-on from Nevada that he may want to discuss for a second. Yeah, his name is uh, Jordan uh, Howden. 
Uh, he, I think he, he's technically a walk-on. He was a late qualifier. Um, got a preferred walk-on offer in June. Uh, yeah, he played high, sc- high school football in Las Vegas. He's a think He played mostly safety, but uh, he's kind of an under-the-radar guy. And that, I mean, obviously, no one's really heard about him until fall, he, fall camp when he's just starting to turn some heads. And I think he's actually replaced um, Josh Allen at second-string safety. Um, and just, just making a lot of plays of practice, really. I, I've heard him mention, along with Terrell Smith, as um, the top freshman defensive back in fall camp, which is saying something for a guy that's who basically was offered and enrolled in campus in the same week this summer. So um, he's someone I mentioned seeing, and obviously temper expectations, he's a true freshman, um, but he'll play by necessity, obviously, because the secondary is uh, very young, very thin. Um, besides him, though, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how the pass rush develops. You know, I talked to um, Carter Coughlin at Big Ten Media Days and uh, talked to him a little bit about the work he's done with their new pass rush specialist coach. Cause they, obviously, this season, um, it's a little different. Last season, they had one defensive line coach, Bryce Pop, and now they've got an uh, interior line coach, uh, which is Theo Rossi, and then a uh, pass rush specialist coach, which is uh, Marcus West. Um, and Coughlin was talking a lot about how he's been working with West on his pass rush moves, whereas last season he just was like bursting off the line, just trying to get around the defensive back any way he could. Now he's actually learning the the techniques, which is a little shocking and kind of an indictment of Bryce Pop, but uh, we'll leave that alone. But I'm curious, yeah, because I think the Gophers have just struggled for a long time developing a pass rush, and to me that's that's a key if you're going to want to live want to win a lot of Big Ten games. Um, you need to have a good you be able to contain the edge, you know, rush the quarterback, stop the runners. You know, Carter's big problem last season was he didn't have the size to um, set the edge and stop the running game. So it'd be interesting to see if he's improved at all in that area. I would, I would hope after a year in, in the uh, um, strength of training program, he's kind of bolted up a little bit. But um, that'll be something to watch. Street, I appreciate you throwing me for the Jordan Howden shout-out, so I'll let you uh, take it from here. My general pessimism as regards the defense is a question of depth, but it's also a question of who and how old your depth is. I'm a little more optimistic broadly that young players on offense can turn heads and be successful pretty early, in part because you're not having to do everything backwards. Also because on some base level, if you're really athletic and you can catch a football, you should be a good wide receiver. There are things that you can clean up over time to become a better wide receiver, but on a base level, it's not that hard. Being a defensive player requires you not only to learn a scheme, but also to have really strong communication with the rest of your defensive core. It's in many ways similar to being a good offensive line. Good offensive lines tend to have played together for a while, and they tend to play together for a while, and that's why they're good, because they've gotten to have that gel and that communication. So when I look at the two deeps, and I look at the secondary, and I say, suppose Antoine Winfield or Jacob Huff gets injured, what now changes there are an awful lot of very young players so that's somewhat concerning i obviously agree with andy that the linebackers are a huge strength equally though if you look at that defensive line you have carter coughlin certainly and you will supposedly have a reinvigorated Teon Devers. But other than that, everyone else is going to be new. Uh, Nate Umlor played a little bit of defensive end last year, but not a tremendous amount, and originally was recruited as a defensive tackle. So 
there are an awful lot of unknowns and there are unknowns specifically on the interior defensive line at defensive tackle which should always be nervous in the same way that if you don't know who your guards are going to be on the offensive line you should be nervous and the secondary has what is potentially a huge drop off if any of the first stringers get injured so that makes me a bit worried yeah i actually i just thought of something i was reading an article in the athletic um, actually a series of them on QB transfers uh, last week. And it actually, something that was written about uh, in there got me thinking about our two big SEC transfers. Um, uh, OJ you know, Smith and Chris Williamson. Thank you. I was trying to think of Chris Williamson first and I was struggling badly. Um, so the, the comment was that when you get a transfer quarterback, a grad transfer quarterback, um, or and I think it applies to any transfer player from a Power 5 school, there's an automatic assumption that if they were a good recruit and they went to a big-name school that, okay, something didn't work out, but they're automatically kind of a sure thing to be pretty decent when they show up at your next place. And in reality, at least in grad transfer quarterbacks, they had some numbers to back it up in the athletic article. That doesn't end up proving to be the case a lot of the time. Uh, and so I'm wondering, I'll have to think, I'm interested to see just kind of how Chris Williamson and OJ Smith do, because I think there's a baseline assumption of, okay, we got these transfers, they're new, but they should be pretty good, or at least better than whoever was there. And we don't know. I mean, that's, a, I mean, if we're talking about pessimism, like we, we just don't know, like clearly these guys didn't latch on at their school for a reason. And it's easy to say that they're both schools that are loaded with talent. So it's easier to get passed over, but maybe they're just not as good as their recruiting profile said or something else. So we'll have to see. I certainly hope that's not the case because it'll be awesome if they, if they work out great. And there's certainly no reason Fleck should have passed on either of them. Um, but yeah, when, for me, that's part of it with depth related to depth is we've got two guys that I think we're sort of just baseline counting on as being a good, a good fit, even if the newness might cause problems. And in reality, we just don't know. So, all right. Um, transitioning off of football. Uh, let's, let's, we got soccer <laughs> went out and had a buzzer beater game winning goal, uh, which is not something that happens a bunch in soccer. Um, Andy, I think you're a little more up to the speed on everything uh, than the rest of us. You want to kind of walk us through what soccer's been doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, soccer is the first Gopher sport to kick off this fall, and they started their season last weekend, whereas everybody else is waiting at least until next weekend or, or the week after. But, uh, yeah, they went out to, to Utah for a pair of games, uh, played the University of Utah on Friday night, and, and did win one nothing on that uh, on that crazy buzzer beater. Um, it was a really nice setup. You can see uh, a clip of it in the article we have on the website. But basically, uh, April Bakken, who's one of the senior leaders on the team, uh, was paying attention to the clock and after a quick Utah foul, uh, took a free kick and booted it down the field. And, and uh, Mackenzie Langdock, who's a sophomore, headed it perfectly ahead um, and got gopher freshman um, Patricia Ward beating the Utah defender, snuck in and ripped the shot with 11 seconds left to beat the Utah goalie. Um, gave the Gophers a one nothing lead, and obviously they'd hang on to win. Then Sunday they went down to Logan, Utah, to play Utah State and pretty much dominated the Aggies. Um, but after outshooting them 10-1 to or 11-1 to in the first half, that one Aggie shot was a, was a goal for them. So they trailed one nothing going into the second half. 
but ended up coming back and getting a pair of goals. Uh, another freshman knocking in the game winner uh, from McKenna Buiesman. She's out of uh, Eden Prairie, I believe. But she would score with 77 minutes left, so the Gophers would hang on and win 2-1. to one. So they went 2-0 and this weekend where they had a lead for about 14 and a half of a possible 180 minutes, which, you know, you don't need to always play with the lead as long as you have the lead at the end. That's all that really matters. So they're 2-0, and and now they have seven games in a row back home at the Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium over on the St. Paul campus. Um, but things will get significantly harder. Uh, Sunday they host Washington State, who's ranked number 21 in the country. And then a week from Sunday, uh, they host Stanford, who was undefeated on their way to winning the national title last year and is currently number one in the country. So a couple of great matches to go out and see some of the best teams in the country at Elizabeth Ryle Robbie Stadium if you're interested. But uh, definitely will be uh, tough for the Gophers to pull wins out in that one. Wait, Stanford was, like, they didn't lose at all? Or they didn't, last season they didn't yeah, lose at all? Yeah, they were 38-0 last season. Won the national title. They didn't even. T- they didn't even. They didn't even tie nope. anybody. Thirty-eight, zero and zero, clean sweep. Good God! Yeah. So they were. Uh, they were a powerhouse last year, and uh, are the were the number one in the. And there's only been one poll, the preseason poll, and they were number one to start the season as well this year. So, uh, you know, the Gophers were ranked sixth in the Big Ten coaches poll, um, but the last two years they've overachieved what they've been ranked. Uh, two years ago, they were also projected to finish sixth, ended up winning the conference regular season title. Last year, they were projected to finish fifth and ended up finishing second. So uh, they're used to they're used to being underrated going into the season. So um, you know they've got a little bit. They've got five key seniors um, who will have to play a big role. They had two of their top seniors, their top two scorers from last year, graduated. So they've got five players who will need to step up and, and play a bigger role this year. But uh, off to a two and zero start, and hopefully they can keep it rolling at home this weekend. All right, wow, I'm still stuck on the Stanford thing because for anyone who's not a soccer person, uh, going thirty eight and zero, not getting, having any ties at all in soccer, uh, which in many ways is kind of similar to hockey in the sense that you could have a hot goalkeeper on the other team, or things could just take some weird bounces. Um, that's something. All right. Uh, Keeping it on the women's side of things, um, Lindsay Whalen uh, has uh, announced that she's officially retiring from the WNBA following the conclusion of the WNBA season, whenever that happens to be for uh, the Minnesota Lynx. Um, The U is already doing a really great job of publicizing uh, the first home game. Um, You should definitely consider going out to to watch the Gophers in their first home game this uh, November uh, against, uh, oh God, I don't even remember who, but the U is offering, I mean, tickets are as cheap as a buck, I think, um, or three bucks or something really easy. They really want to pack the barn out uh, to welcome Lindsay uh, as the new head coach of the Gophers. Um, you know, Alex, I, I know you're a huge Lindsay Whalen fan. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts now that she's going to be the full-time coach uh, of the Gophers? Oh, I'm so excited that she retired. It's like so unbelievably excited. I want to briefly praise a famous woman in discussing Lindsay Whalen's career highlights. She is without question the best guard that the University of Minnesota basketball program, men or women, has ever produced. And there are a variety of reasons for this, but I think the easy and basic one is that average attendance when Lindsay Whalen joined the program was a little over a thousand per game. 
And by the time she left, it was almost 10,000. And the barn was absolutely rocking for all of it. She is the all-time leading scorer. She holds career record in points, scoring average, games in double figures, free throws made, free throw percentage. She had a variety of other things that were since eclipsed by a few other more recent players. She was a three-time academic All-Big Ten. She was a two-time All-American, and that was just what she did in college. When she got to the professional game, she became the all-time leader in win. She's obviously a four-time WNBA champion. And while the likelihood is that her season will end sometime this week, it is possible that she could go out a five-time WNBA champion. She's a five-time All-Star, obviously um, one of the best basketball players of all time. She's been shouted out by LeBron, though honestly, Waylon should shout out LeBron. <laughs> and with all of that said, I am thrilled that she has decided that she's going to stop playing basketball and concentrate on coaching. It's possible to do both. Obviously, Dawn Staley had a tremendous amount of success. But I tend to think that big jobs and Power 5 jobs are full-time jobs. There's a lot that Lindsay Whalen cannot do because she's playing basketball professionally full time. She's not allowed, she's not able frequently to go see players on the AAU circuit. It's harder for her to see recruits. She's doing a lot of juggling back and forth. She's having to rely a lot on her staff. I think her staff has thus far shown to be itself quite good, but nonetheless, you want your head coach around. That's why you pay your head coach the most amount of money. So her retiring and allowing herself to devote full time to the University of Women's basketball program also means that she gets to take all of those fantastic accomplishments and then go talk to potential women of the future to lead that program. There are obviously, as we mentioned before in this program, quite a few decent players in the state of Minnesota, including Paige Bookers in two years, that it would be real good if the University of Minnesota landed, but equally there are a lot of other players, and there is absolutely no reason why the University of Minnesota women's basketball team should not be a powerhouse. There's zero reason. There is a huge amount of support for women's basketball in the state of Minnesota. There are a fair number of good recruits year in and year out, maybe not at the absolute elite level, but solid Division I recruits. They're also within an eight-hour range of the University of Minnesota, quite a few other very good recruits, and you have now paired them with the greatest winner in women's professional basketball history. I'm thrilled that she is coming back to just be the University of Minnesota's basketball coach. Yeah, I, I would just love for the, for the program to get back to where it was when she was here. I, I remember... Just, I mean, I wasn't going to the U, and it was easy for me to stay in touch with and completely impressed with how much energy there was around it. You'd, co I'd come back to Minnesota from college uh, in breaks or whatever, and people would actually be talking about uh, the women's team, and that was just not something that growing up in Minnesota you had people doing. So. It was a lot of fun to be able to watch from, you know, a couple hours away. And uh, it'd be a lot of fun to watch it from over here in Cincinnati if, if, it, if it happened again. Um, all right. Question time. Bringing back our, our bit. Uh, question time. Um, one, one very important thing happened uh, while we were on our little end of summer hiatus. 
Uh, Last Chance You Season 3 came out on Netflix, which if you're not watching Last Chance You, um, A, what is wrong with you? Uh, and B, if it's because you don't know what Last Chance You is, uh, it's a Netflix uh, kind of multi-episode documentary kind of thing, kind of a hard knocks, but with, I don't know, a little more heart to it. Um that follows uh, JUCO college football. Uh, followed East Mississippi, uh, col- uh, East Mississippi State, um, uh, which was an, a powerhouse team uh, for two seasons. And this last year, they went to uh, Independence Community College in Independence, Kansas. Uh, and the question I have for you guys: um, Just how big of an idiot is the head coach of season three, Jason Brown? Like, I came in wanting to, maybe he was just going to be unconventional, and I was left just, like, boggled if he was a bigger moron than Tim Brewster. Uh, Andy, I know you watched it. Like, what was your final impression of this dude by the time the series was done? You know, it, it's interesting because, yeah, his his actually game coaching and things like that, and, and you don't know how much they don't show uh, on screen, but, yeah, you're watching some of the coaching decisions he's making, and it's just... You wonder how he got to the place he did because um, some of his game, in-game decisions are just insane. Um, you know, the the other thing you'll notice if you watch it is is the language. There, every other oh every, my god, every, the language. Every other word is a mf'er, cs'er. You know, and and then he'll and he'll go back to oh, I love you guys, I love you guys, I love you guys. It's it's just he'll alternate back and forth and. But, you know, having having watched season one and season two, too, I, I, you know, not to be stereotypical, but I think that might be more more typical of these JUCO guys because they've got these sort of head cases they have to deal with. Um, you know, basically the, the, the common denominator of uh, season two and season three of East Mississippi and, and Independence is taking quarterbacks who were supposed to be playing at Florida State who got kicked out of Florida State for one reason or another and think they're way too good to be playing community college football and physically they have the tools but mentally they're just messed up in the head and trying to get through to these kids that there's a reason why you're here in in BF nowhere um to try and be to try and earn your way back to a to a major D1 school is just it's just a, a crazy experience watching that so but yeah jason brown is the coach's name and he's he's a total train wreck he basically is tim brewster is a fairly good example because he he supposedly makes his name in recruiting and and he does you know well it'll be interesting to see when season four comes out next year uh and he does get some incredibly great kids to end up going to independence middle of nowhere kansas for a year or two which is insane um but yeah, his his actual game time coaching is just so so bad. And I don't want to rag too hard on the dude because one thing that to me became readily apparent through watching it because he didn't really hide it. I don't think is he seems like he's probably a high functioning alcoholic. Um, and there's a lot of and his backstory, like the history of what he had to go through growing up, is just like he very much had a a very hard upbringing that I think brings him closer to his players as much as something like that can. Um, so I don't want to like just paint him as being a moron. I think, he, I think he it seems like he probably has a method, but there are just some decisions where regardless of the method, the execution is just crazy. Uh, if you're not watching it, seriously watch it though, because there's a ton of, it's hard to describe. Um, there's a lot of heart to it. 
they really go into, you'll end up feeling for a lot of the kids. They go into a lot of backstory, a lot of behind the scenes with where these kids come from, what led them to be where they are. And uh, some of the, the, they profile some teachers and academic advisor kind of folks at all the schools they've covered. And some of those people are just amazing. Um, and really you end up rooting for a lot of these kids to have success um, and, and get somewhere else and kind of follow their dreams. So if you're not watching it, watch it. It's definitely worth uh, hours of your time. Um, all right. So final question for today, and then we'll wrap it up. I, I just need to know if I'm completely oblivious or how big of an idiot I am. Am I the only one who didn't realize until reading something last week that New Mexico State actually plays a game before they they play? They, they play this upcoming weekend. They play this Saturday. Um, am I the only one who didn't know that? Is it on Aggie Vision? <laughs> yes. I'm honestly not sure where they're playing, so yes, I it's, hope it is. I, I, I think the the opponent is Wyoming. I know that, but I'm not sure. It, if it's a home game, there's definitely Aggie. It, it, but I'm not yeah, sure it actually home. got promoted. It's on the Deuce. It's on ESPN2, so we can all watch and, and critique uh, the Aggies playing Craig Bowles' squad this weekend. Oh, there we go. Right, you guys still haven't answered, and I'm hoping it's not because you're being polite, but did everybody else know they were playing? or No, I had no idea. I I, I did know, but that's because I was doing some reading and stuff like that. And also, if you go back like three weeks, I did mention it in our Slack chat, but you know, nobody actually reads my stuff anyway, so that's not really surprising. <laughs> that is such Slack a chat? wonderfully Minnesota passive-aggressive thing there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I knew, and technically all of you also should have known because I told you. But hey, it's fine. <laughs> Which, incidentally, uh, nobody outside of Minnesota ever seems to understand that that's what Minnesota nice actually is. It's just pure passive aggressiveness. I've had to explain it so many times to people in Ohio who, who are like, oh, we want to visit. Everyone's so nice. And I'm like, they really hate, hate you behind your back. Don't worry. Admittedly, since I just said that, I actually also did know in part because I very occasionally do read what Andy writes. Well, I will make it a mission in life to be more attentive in our Slack chats. Um, clearly, I am failing in that regard. I don't know. Gopher Nation never reads anybody's stuff. So as a managing editor, it just sort of makes sense. Yeah, it's his bit, though. Like, if he was to start reading our stuff consistently, I would start fearing for his mental well-being. Well, and the number of insults I have about him in the middle of articles would have to drastically be reduced. <laughs> Uh, that's a bit I hope never grows old. All right. Uh, podcast uh, dropping a little bit earlier this week. We're going to try to figure out what our regular schedule is for the days of the week, and we'll, we'll let you know once we have that squared away. Still working out some schedule uh, kind of stuff between all of us to get a regular recording time. Uh, but we will have one for you next week as well, leading into the Gophers' first game against New Mexico State on Thursday. Uh, in the meantime, thanks again for listening. Welcome to Season 2, and go Gophers! Sky Yuma, roll the boat.